On the phone with me right now is the author of one of the most riveting books I have read in a while, and it's called The Time Barrier, John Raymond. John Raymond, thank you for chatting with me. You're very welcome, Judy. Okay, so I got to tell folks the background on this book. I was recently doing a health and safety conference. I was doing my keynote at a health and safety conference in Timmins. And the gift that uh, the organizers gave me was uh, a nice gift bag that you get at the end of your keynote. But within the gift bag uh, was this book called uh, The Time Barrier, by John Raymond. And as it turned out, while I was waiting for my flight um, to come back to Toronto, I was waiting for the flight on the flight. And then when I got home, I couldn't put the book down. So John, this is how the book was pitched to me, which is why I immediately started reading it. Um, uh, The organizer, uh, Bob, said to me, uh, I hope it's okay if I give you this book. Uh, John signed it for you, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. I really liked it, just based on some of the stuff you talked about. And he pitched the book to me like this. He said, so there's a scientist who's working on a time machine, let's say. What they want to do is they want to be able to freeze people so that in the future, they wake up, say, 200 years later, right? I went, okay. He said, but what happens is the scientist gets cancer, and what he wants to do is he wants to be the human guinea pig so that 200 years down the road, hopefully there will be a cure for the type of cancer he has. Well, what happens is he goes into this pod, he wakes up 200 years later, but instead of the world being advanced, it's it's gone back to a primitive form. We've almost gone back to like caveman days in a way. And now he's like, now what do I do? And I was hooked on the premise. John, thank you for writing such a great book. Well, thank you. So let me let me ask you something about the time barrier. First of all, we have got to get this to someone to write a script and make a movie because it's it's awesome. First of all, it's it's Canadian. It takes place in uh, in Vancouver. And second of all, because it goes into the sort of the caveman era, um, it wouldn't be that expensive to shoot. I mean, yes, there are some effects that happen later on, but I think it's got the making of a, a great book. So how do we get this to James Cameron? <laughs> well, he's from Capuscasing, so maybe he'll want to uh, work with another northern guy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Or we're going to have to get one of those big mining companies up in Timmins, like Goldcore, to uh, put some money behind this. It is amazing. So what I wanted to ask you is, um, oh, so tell folks what your background is, because there's a lot of science in this book, um, and I just wanted to know what your background was. Well, uh, I'm a former uh, physical science teacher, and I'm also an exploration geologist. I've had two careers. And the exploration geologist career took me all over the uh, north, the uh, Western Hemisphere. And uh, teaching physics and chemistry has uh, taught me how to uh, get people to understand science. And uh, I have a teacher's approach to that. But uh, also, it's an adventure story, of course, and uh, I'm pretty proud of the method by which I used to get this guy into the future. I don't think anybody else has thought of this. Uh, he isn't really frozen. 
Uh, he's in suspended animation, but the method used is unique, I think. I don't think anybody else has thought of this. I've read Eisenhoff and all the other guys that wrote science fiction, and I think this is far more realistic than uh, most of the science fiction that you're going to read. So tell, tell people what that method is. Well, the idea is that you don't go into the solid state. You arrest all bodily functions by using an antifreeze uh, oxidant, and then you put him in a place where he can't possibly be found and where his body can be kept around zero degrees. This is, this is the method I use. But uh, the whole thing about the book is that uh, it's an adventure story, obviously, and uh, the guy goes through a, a great deal in the new world because it's not what he expected. And, uh, you know, he gets involved in some pretty brutal conflicts. And, uh, of course, he misses all the people that he left behind, especially one particular woman. And he can't seem to get her out of, her mi- out of his mind. So, John, I wanted to ask you, reading the book, who did you have in mind as uh, the characters? Because uh, I'll tell you, I envisioned a Harrison Ford, a young Harrison Ford as the lead scientist. And then the woman he falls in love with, uh, the exotic woman he falls in love with, I pictured like a Selma Hayek or a Penelope Cruz. Well, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. I I, I pictured uh, Yates as uh, Gregory Peck. Oh, so the main character, you pick Gregory Peck. Okay, because you wrote this a while ago, too, but Gregory Peck would be great. Yeah, a young Gregory Peck. (laughs) Yes, young. He would have been fantastic. Oh, I love it. Okay, so you were telling me something off air as well, but this is is not a prophecy. That uh, What did you mean by that? Well, the book is not meant to be a prophecy. Mm -hmm. It's meant to prevent itself from becoming a prophecy, because we can always... We're heading that way right now. This is what the book's about. We're heading in that direction. But we don't heading, have to heading go in, there. Heading in what direction? In, in the polarized societies of, you know, that the, the book uh, shows. But we don't have to go there. Uh, we have the ability to go a different way. But we are heading in that direction right now. Okay, so let me tell, let me give people the background then. Uh, what John is talking about, the book does have the, the, the haves and the have-nots, which is basically where our society is going. The division is getting wider and wider, um, you know, every year, unfortunately. So the two groups that John has in his book, he has sort of the cave people who are the ones that are, um, basically, what did you call the other group, the, the techno-geeks? Well, the, uh... The people you talk about, the primitive people are, I call them the outlanders. Outlanders, right. And the, the city uh, the city has turned into an absolute mess. I mean, uh, it's ruled by gangs and all this kind of stuff, and it's not livable. And the, the people who are really advanced in technology and science have shut themselves off from this, and, you know, they've separated themselves from society. And so the society has polarized itself into three groups. And, of course, he bumps into all three. And uh, so you've got the, the outlanders. With, sorry, you've yeah. got the outlanders. And what do you call the tech people? The, uh, I call them technocrats. Technocrats, right. Yeah. You know, there was a movement called technocracy. This is not new. It didn't go anywhere, but if it starts again, it might. Wow. 
Okay, so the technocrats and the outlanders. So he starts with the outlanders. And then, like you said, in the city, the cities are an absolute mess. And then there's the technocrats who cut themselves off from everybody, and they live in their little bubbles, right? That's about it. And uh, the, the city is ruled by armed gangs, which I call urbanites. But it's not a nice word because it, urbanites today just means people living in the city. <laughs> right. But but in the future, urbanite will be a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, the other question I wanted to ask you then, um, how close are we to basically freezing people and, and setting them into the future? Is that ever going to be possible? I think it will be possible, but not by freezing them. Okay, you think the technique that you're talking about, right? Yeah. Well, whether it's possible or not, what I love about your book, and I'm not really a sci-fi person, a fantasy person, but I think you do such a great job um, explaining the techniques that are used in the book, as well as on top of that, layering it with uh, something that reads like a script, something that reads like a movie. And people like lots of of details, but they don't want to be overwhelmed. They don't want to be confused. They don't want to be talked down to either. And I think you strike a terrific balance. Well, thank you. I, I really try to do that. And I, I think my experience as a, a physics teacher helped me. Now, what was your inspiration for this? How long had you been sitting on this terrific story, and, and what sparked you to finally write it down? Well, that that in itself is a, is a story. <laughs> I, I've had this in my mind for an awful long time. And uh, after I retired from teaching in, in uh, 99, uh, I was bored. <laughs> so I... <laughs> I said, why not write this thing? So it took me five years to do it. I wrote it on a Smith Corona typewriter, and I must have used five bottles of whiteout. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, but now, of course, I've got you know computer and WordPerfect and all that stuff now. But then I didn't have that, and uh, I wasn't uh, into that stuff. But now I am, of course. And I'm writing another book. Can you give us an idea of what your your next book is like? Well, you know that the the defining uh, uh, event in the time barrier is the the Great War, the global conflict that redefined society, uh, and I had it taking place in 2056. Mm-hmm. This book covers the period before the Great War. Oh, okay. And it's an adventure story of a soldier who lived in that time, and is a special forces guy, and. Uh, it's his adventure as we approach, you know, the coming storm. Okay. Well, I can hardly. How, how much? Uh, how much whiteout have you used, and yeah, how much no longer more. do we have I to got wait? I word perfect now, Judy. <laughs> <laughs> no whiteout. Do you have a title for that book? Not yet, but I think it'll be something like the coming storm. Oh, I like that. I like that. Okay, well, while you're finishing up the coming storm, I am going to do everything I can to uh, to help you get this done because this needs to be a movie. I, uh, I love what you did in predicting where the world was going, you know, because you read that and either you're going to be totally skeptical and go, ah, you know, this person doesn't know what they're talking about or you're going to say, 
I'm buying into this. This is great. I love this story. And like I said, I read it sitting waiting for my Air Canada flight. I read it on my Air Canada flight. When I got home, I had to finish it. It's a page turner. And damn it, we're going to get James Cameron <laughs> to do yeah, this movie, okay? He did a good job on Titanic. <laughs> exactly. So look out, Techno Truck.